0: Listening to Into the Valley a Phoenix Suns podcast, a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Welcome everybody into the valley. I am Ethan Schutt, joined as always by Ryan Schutt and Philip Russell. But we have a very special guest. Hopefully, uh, if you're an audio listener, you have the ability to check us out on YouTube. If nothing else, just for today, as we welcome. Baby Lydia Russell. Uh Philip, she- any anything that Lydia would like to say to the podcast or anything you'd like to say on her behalf?
1: Yeah, she's she's pretty chill right now, but she did say that the Suns looked really good when they were running Snap last night, and she hopes they utilize that more in game five, and that she thinks that Cam Johnson and Landry Shamet need to have really big games for the Suns to turn this thing around. That was that was all her. It, it's crazy. That's very, crazy. That's very impressive.
0: She she must have been watching the game with someone really smart like her mom. That's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. She just uh she steals takes from the internet. So, there you I go. get that. I I've heard I've heard of people that do that before. But no, uh yeah, I will I'll be honest with you to to open this one up, uh first of all for those listening anywhere Uh, Welcome to the show. Uh, We manage to talk about the Phoenix Suns every week. Some weeks are harder than others. Uh, This episode in particular is a little tough, but I will say there could not have been a better time for you to have a perfect little angel baby because any other year when the Suns are the one seed, they lose their potential first team all NBA player and they're tied two to two in a very tough series other years I think I could be in a really really tough spot but luckily there's a small little angel child who's just made this week a whole lot better uh, I say as I am currently recording from yeah. Philip's house in the baby's nursery for those watching on YouTube here my room doesn't look quite this cute typically I was going to say she's actually ticked at you cuz she's like "homie I'm trying to nap and you're in you're in my bed" so I asked permission first to determine oh, okay. where I should record but yeah uh, I think probably some bright side records uh potential for weirdest room to record a podcast uh, also youngest podcast host uh clocking in at a 4 days that's pretty impressive it is and then Ryan welcome back you've been traveling with work you've been
2: sick uh you've been you've been a little bit of everywhere welcome <laughs> feel, back buddy i feel like i'm being punished for my move i i move away and it's like hey you're going to be gone a lot, and then you're going to get sick, and then your best friend's child will be born, and then the sons won't make it out of the first round. Want to whoa, move back to Bowling Green? Whoa. Who, episode, who, who, who said save that?
1: Save it for the heart of the episode, my guy. Who said that? Save it for the heart of the episode.
0: Brian's
2: coming in with predictions. Are you going to hand the video off so we can Yikes. get into
0: it? Oh, goodness. Well, uh, if if you want to uh, – Listen, to- somebody
2: had to rip the <laughs> band-aid off. Somebody had to do it. I'm willing to be that guy.
0: Well, uh, as my f- new favorite co-host Lydia gets uh, passed back to the Giver of Life, uh, I will go ahead and say, if you are what Sarah, Sarah gave her life, I helped. You were you were there. I helped. You were there. That's hey, awesome.
2: Let's, let's make a poll on Twitter.
0: That's
1: not <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. Physiologically, biologically, you only called Sarah the Giver of Life, as they say, my guy. It takes
0: two to tango fine. I'm sorry. The sustainer of life. That yeah. is probably accurate. There you go. Uh, but no, if, if you're new here, like I said, thanks for joining us. You can check us out on the bright Side podcast network. You can also find us on YouTube. If you look up into the Valley Phoenix Suns podcast, uh, we are having a very good time getting back into the YouTube game. And again, we're really focusing this playoffs to not get sidetracked, whether the results are good or bad and stick to our schedule. So hopefully you're getting to listen to this tonight, Philip, what you got for me?
1: Should anyone even dare to slander my daughter's good name? Let the record reflect her first, her very first son's game was game three. It was game three. We started watching game three together in the hospital before she got taken back to the nursery for the end of the game, which is probably good. She was back in the nursery for the end of game three. So I just want True. I want us all to be clear, Lydia's batting 500 right now. We're one I'm- and one.
2: And that's she's bet, up. That's better than Ethan's record as a Suns fan. So oh, <laughs> that's, goodness, if you that's look painfully up
0: painfully true, <laughs> if you look up the Suns overall record since since I started 18 almost years ago now, uh, that'd be interesting. I had some hot years early, lukewarm years, including like a 48 and 34 missing the playoffs, which is going to sting me forever. And then we had the pits. And now we're on the up and up. I'm I might be around five hundred. Me and Lydia might be batting the same, although we, we, she's we clocking in four that. days. I'll have to off to do some research. Uh, but no, if if you're joining us, thank you so much for listening. Uh, we did not get to record after game three. We're gonna try to do the post games as much as we can. But that was like Philip said, baby born, Ryan sick, me emotionally coping with a very stressful game three, and I wasn't sure who would want to just listen to me anyway. But if you haven't checked in, the Suns have taken back home court. That's a very optimistic and positive way to spin game three and four. What a spin. But I'm going to go ahead and start right there. The Suns take back home court, uh, winning game three, dropping game four. And the series is tied two to two, going back to Phoenix tomorrow night. A lot of feelings, a lot of feelings. We'll get into a lot of that, but we'll go ahead and start with game three. More of our focus is going to be on game four, just the nature of the beast, what's relevant, what people are probably thinking about by the time this comes out. Uh, But game three in a nutshell, final score 114-111, not really that close down the stretch. The Pelicans were aided by late second shots, a lot of late game free throws, kind of trying to make it look respectable as they attempted to claw back with a minute or two left. But Suns took care of business. And I just wanted to kind of open it up to you guys before we jump to game four. Is there anything from game three that really stood out to you guys, whether that's individual performance, play styles, way that Monty made some changes going into it? Uh, Philip. I guess I'll start with you. What about game three made a big impact on you? I don't know if it was after game one or game two, Ethan, when we talked about
1: the Pelican strategy and will DA continue to be able to have success against this Pelicans team will he be able to fill it up and the answer in game three was absolutely he was incredible in game three he I'm looking at his shot chart right now he shot 13 of 20 from the field including a knockdown three almost all of his shots though his feet are at least in the paint not not too many from the restricted area but he was in there around 10 to 12 feet For a lot of those shots, fairly easy shots. In Game 3, D.A. was exceptional because that's what the Pelicans were giving the Suns, and he capitalized perfectly. But as we talk about D.A. in Game 3, and I'm sure we'll get to him in Game 4 as well because he was great in Game 4, his partner in crime at the 5, JaVale McGee, 7 of 8. Contrastly, half of his shots came from the restricted area. Mm -hmm. All of his shots came basically with his feet in the lane. And then when you combine the two, 20 of 28 from the field for a whopping 71%. And Ethan, you're the resident math guy on the the podcast. So let's get these quick maths. 28 plus 15. So we're looking at 43 43. points Uh with 17 rebounds from DA, only three from JaVale. So they combined for 20 rebounds. So what do we say? That's 43 and 20 between your two centers. And when when you think about game three, Chris Paul had the masterpiece in the fourth quarter. But the reason the Suns were in a position to let Chris Paul have that masterclass in the fourth quarter was because DA and JaVale were everything the Suns could dream for them to be.
2: Yeah. Yeah, big big standouts for me. Philip touched on it. JaVale, Javale, and DeAndre together both, you know, we outscored them 64 to 40 in the in, in the paint, which is an insane number. But to me, in addition to that, what stood out is our assist to turnover ratio in game three. 26 assists to five turnovers. Like that's that's incredible. Um, that is gonna be especially on a night where you shoot 15% from three, the fact that you're still able to get, you know, 26 assists and limiting those turnovers was huge and is, is a big part of, I think our success that night Uh, and and props to DA to, to Philip, to kind of continue harping on the point Philip is making. Um, I I would, I would venture to say at this point, he's been our most consistent player through, through four games. Uh, And is uh, a lot of the reason why we're in the position we're in is because of Da because. Uh and I don't want to get too far into to last night's game yet, but you know, Chris Chris Paul was not Chris Paul last night, but, but DA showed up and, and he has been really good so far.
0: Yeah, it it's interesting. We talked a good bit about who we thought could have a big role after game one, who we thought could get played off the floor. And JaVale was a, a question mark. We talked about him uh in our game one post game, I believe, of he was a spark plug. And and that was good, but we w- weren't sure the longevity of that rotation and, and if he could continue to be a value. But, man, it, it looks like no matter who is out there at the five, if we're playing a traditional five, they're going to keep eating. And JaVale, and this is jumping to game four a bit, but I think every bucket was at the rim dunking layup, except for the one m- majestic fadeaway from like 10 feet out where I was – screaming at my screen as that happened and then it went in and I just said okay never my bad JaVale like you you do you brother but no I I thought the bigs played great I I think it's probably good that we're recapping them now because I think as we shift to some of the maybe more problem areas or our pain points we're not gonna cover them as
2: much Uh, was that an intentional play on words what my pain, pain points
0: pain points no but man we'll we'll get there uh yeah so suns win 114-111 in game 3 and then follow it up with last night's loss 118-103 and it was it was a spanking like that game for me was really really rough to watch um it's crazy to think if i'm not mistaken i think the suns were up two at half if my memory serves me right. Yeah. uh, And then the wheels just fell off. And we've, we've talked about this. We've talked about the son's MO of how to build and maintain a lead. And once again, and Philip, we touched on this last time, what we needed them to see is them to build that lead up to a point where even with their normal third quarter regression, they're in the driver's seat going into the fourth where they're comfortable and they're just unable to do it once again. And the Pelicans, man, we got to give we got to give them plenty of credit. Obviously, we're not going to focus on them, but you got to give them a lot of credit every time the Suns put together little runs that you thought may get them there, the Pelicans make some big play over and over and over and over. Uh in game 4, once again, something that we've now discussed after every game, it seems that the Suns are just unable to shoot the basketball which is a very surprising turn of events given the season we just witnessed. And so I want to go ahead and start more positive. Game 4 was a trash can, right? We're not going to sugarcoat it and try to play like let's be let's be like oh no, they were in control the whole time and things didn't go. No, they got they got outplayed and that's fine. But before we talk about what didn't work in game 4, let's talk about what did. So game four, what worked? Philip, I know Lydia already commented on it to start the episode, uh, but there was a a particular play that has been written about at length by many, many friends of the podcast uh, that seems to be working well when they actually run it. Uh, Tell me a little bit about that because I know that's where you're going.
1: Snap the Spain pick and roll that the Suns run and its variations because they don't just stick to a pick and roll was working all the time last night. And the interesting, the interesting part of it, so like the Spain pick and roll, just for a refresher, is when a big comes up and he sets a screen for a guard, usually the point guard, usually CP3, and they go like they do. So usually you think Chris Paul going left to right to try to get to that iconic right elbow jumper that he likes but then as the big rolls there's usually a back screen by another guard or wing and that wing pops out to the perimeter now last night the suns were getting open especially in the first half of flaring out a little bit after setting the back screen for dear Javale, flaring out to the wing So what the Pelicans were having a little bit trouble doing was guarding the ball laterally. That when the Suns were going up and down, they were having no problem, really. But when the ball started swinging laterally from the free throw line extended out to the wing, the Pelicans weren't guarding it as well. So Cam Johnson, several times in the first half, got open and there was a stretch, two or three possessions in a row, where he was either getting wide open for a three or the, it was like the Red Sea parted and Cam had a straight line drive to the basket off of Spain. Now, last night, what happened is when, when I started noticing that and when Cam had a couple of wide open lanes, he picked up his third foul in the second quarter. So that really hurt the Suns. And then in the third quarter, Cam was getting wide open again. And then about halfway through the third quarter, he picks up his fourth foul. So it seemed like as the Suns were getting some momentum with this play and with the variation that they were running, they were just taken out of it by foul trouble because when you implement a McHale, when you implement a Landry into the Spain pick and roll, it's just not as daunting of a play when it's Cam Johnson or of course, even more Devin Booker.
0: Yeah. Now, and we've talked about this a good bit. It, What's frustrating is, and this is where a lot of people and let's just go ahead and get this out of the way. Sun's Twitter is a bit of a uh, a minefield, if you will, right now. A uh, lot of people up in their feelings, a lot of sad boy hours, a lot of whatever. Um, it's really quick to to say something, react to something, do something that can get you uh, attacked from one side or another. It is what it is. But let's go ahead and get this out here for me. I've seen a lot of people come at Monty. Just guns ablazing, blazing And here's the one thing I want to say in defense of a coach. I have watched a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of various pick and roll actions with many different variations work in this series, although the ball did not go in the hoop. And what I'm saying is, <laughs> excuse me, the plays are working. They're getting the desired outcome. But if the dudes on the court cannot make the open shot that is created for them, I don't know if we can say that's on money. And I know some people do that as a joke for those that are are Twitter savants and know those out there who like to say this is on money win lose draw whatever. I'm saying he can only do so much Um, when it comes to rotation stuff. Things getting a little iffy, and we can probably talk about that. Um, But sticking with game four, Ryan. Watching it back, I know you already touched on the bigs, which if you want to stick there,
2: I think it's well-earned. What worked for the Suns in game four? Well, the, the bigs is, is, there were two things that kind of stuck out to me. The bigs is one, JaVale and, and D.A. combined for 37 points and 12 rebounds. Uh, and D.A. had a super efficient night going 11 to 14. Uh, and I will just say, as a fan of basketball, watching the battle between Valanciunas and DeAndre Ayton has been a joy to watch. Uh, it feels like some of the... Uh, games of the early, late 90s, early 2000s, where you just have bigs going at each other. We haven't really gotten a lot of that the last few seasons, and that's been really fun to watch them go at it. Uh, but I think McHale on, on McCollum has has been working pretty well. Last night, uh, McHale was the primary defender on McCollum most of the night and held him to, yeah, 18 points, but on 8 of 21 shooting. Um, and, and McCollum and, and B.I. have really been the two killers of the Sun so far. And if you can kind of hold, you know, McCollum, to to that, you know, and bi kills you. Well, bi kills you. And, and credit to where credit's due. Bi has been incredible this series. Um, but I, I've really been impressed by Mikhail guarding um, CJ out at the perimeter, um, and, and I thought it worked. Uh, and, and I think moving forward, it'll work. But to your point, I think the biggest thing working against us right now is just shot making.
0: Well, you kind of you took mine. That was that's what I had written for, for brothers. Uh, I think I think Mikhail is being overlooked for two reasons for what he's doing on defense number one because of what some of the pelicans players are doing on the defensive end uh it seems like it's a lot more fun to talk about scrappy rookies who are making big defensive plays so naturally a lot of the attention's going to go off of the the alvarados or the sky high blocks or the whatever uh but yeah to your point I know you mentioned one of the games right now mccullum has scored a bunch So if you just look at that, you're saying, well, whatever the Suns are doing, it's not working. But if you look at the games, McCollum has shot 9 of twenty five, seven of 18, 11 of 23, and 8 of 21. Like, those are what the world thought Devin Booker stats looked like when they didn't watch Suns games. Like, high volume, I'm going to throw it up a lot. I will end up with some point and part of it too, is he's had a couple streaky three point shooting nights, including a six of 10. Uh, I think that was in game two. So he is, he is operating in a way that, yeah, if you're just looking at the points, it looks like he's doing damage, but McHale has done a good job. Now I want to go ahead and I've had to move around my show notes a little bit here, but I think it's a great transition as we talk about game four and what went wrong. Philip, I'm going to put this one on you. I'm going to put you in the coach's seat here because if you are a Suns fan and you watch these games, you say, what went wrong? We're playing against Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram has, uh, whether it was there the whole time or not, has made an apparent massive leap, maybe just in terms of the stage he's doing it on. But I think... One thing that has been incredibly overlooked as people are detailing this run for the Pelicans, and I'm not here to poo-poo on them, right? Everyone's like, wow, this eight seed, and oh, they started this. Right, they started the season without CJ McCollum. They added an immensely skilled offensive weapon who, in my opinion, has allowed another insanely skilled offensive weapon to move up to new heights, similar to what we saw with Chris Paul and Devin Booker. They unlock. Parts of the floor and parts of the game for the other. So everyone talking about crappy Pelicans doing this against the Suns. It's not been the same team the whole time. Okay. That's my rant. I'm done now. But <laughs> Brandon Ingram is putting on a show. Here is my question for you. We have seen him guarded primarily by Jay Crowder, who I would say effective at times. Uh, Tory Craig, more effective early rather than late. Uh, And then we've seen unfortunate guards get switched on to him and get absolutely cooked. We have not seen anything too crazy and out of the box. I I jokingly told Brooke last night, because she was asking about this dude who was torching us, and I said, unfortunately, he's that big and that skilled. Unless DeAndre Ayton wants to go man up so no one can shoot over him, I don't know what we're going to do. So Coach Phillip, Brandon Ingram, I think you could either try to scheme to prevent him from doing what he's doing, or you can take a Warriors Jokic approach where you say, We know he's going to drop 40. We have to manage the rest. How do you think the Suns should go about handling the Brandon Ingram problem? That last one
1: makes the most sense to me. Acknowledge that if you play one on one defense, not one on one, if you play good defense without overextending the help, might he make some really tough shots and put up 30? Yes. That's what great players do. That's okay. But when he's making a bunch of shots, sorry, if you can hear my baby in the back, I'm not sorry if you can hear my baby. I was in the gonna back. Say, I Cause care. I have a baby and it's really cool. And if you have a problem with that audio quality, kick rocks <laughs> anyway, <laughs> with Brandon Ingram, he's going to get some of his shots. I would say play good defense and don't let guys like Alvarado and Herb Jones, and especially Trey Murphy and Devontae Graham, don't let them get easy, step in, walk right into it, three-pointers off of Brandon Ingram drives. Those are easy shots that some of these guys are getting. If it's going to be Brandon Ingram, make him do it for 40-plus minutes out of the game. And again, if he goes scorched earth on you, okay. But when his teammates are getting wide, wide wide-open looks, I just don't know if that's what the Suns want to do. If Brandon Ingram's going to be their workhorse, make him work even more. And then potentially, potentially you can exploit that at the defensive end, keep putting him into actions, whoever he's guarding, make them like a Devin Booker, make them a Devin Booker light where, okay, Brandon Ingram's guarding me. I'm coming off of double pin downs. I'm getting put into Spain pick and roll where he's going to have to work over and over and over again, running around these screens. And then when he comes to the offensive end, have at us, go at Mikhail one-on-one over and over and let's see what, let's see how long he can hold up because it's going to get taxing. We see this, we see this in other series right now. KD isn't able to do what he's able to do because of Boston's, not just Boston loading up on him, but because they can put multiple guys on him to go at them. So he has fresh legs as well. So I think B.I. is going to get his throughout the rest of the series. I would I would say, let him be the guy who beat you and don't overextend the help off of anybody else.
0: Yeah, I, I, t- I tend to agree. I think the amount of gravity that he's causing is allowing those secondary or tertiary for those that learned their vocab from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, scorers get those open looks that they shouldn't be getting and, and shouldn't be hitting, but it is, it's tough. And one thing that I'm curious about, uh, for some reason, I just hate myself. So I rewatched it this morning. One thing that was killing me was how much effort defensively the Suns were having to put forth to try to get through some of the pick and rolls on the top, yet they still weren't getting what they wanted. It was either trying to avoid a certain matchup yet. They still couldn't do it. Or, you know, they're doing all this work to fight through it to stick with them and then still Ingram shoots it right over you. So part of me is like, I wonder if they're wearing themselves down physically trying to stop someone who can't be stopped. And I don't mean to make it sound like he's going to drop 80 on you. I'm just saying he's going to get his. He can shoot over literally anyone other than DA and JaVale if they jump properly and time it. And still it's a question mark. We saw McHale guard him beautifully 10 out of 10 yet JaVale's hand or sorry Mikhail's hand got to Brandon Ingram's maybe nose and Brandon Ingram just easy money repeatedly so if I'm if I'm the coach I feel like you gotta you gotta either like you said let him get it without compromising the integrity of your entire defense or figure something out uh Ryan I got to ask you this as, as King troll of the Lakers at times, are there moments watching this series when you've thought, wow, the Lakers had this guy because I've looked around the playoffs and just this season, as I look at Lonzo and Hart and BI and whatever, and it is, it is a funny thought. And I know they all didn't get traded at the same time, but it is pretty funny.
2: I, I hate that you asked me this. Because I was going to text you guys after the podcast about how proud I was of myself for not bringing this very fact up, like as you were talking about Brandon Ingram, all that was running through my mind was, dude, imagine being a Lakers fan watching him pop off right now. um so since you've given me the platform to do so, yes, like I can't like imagine you're at home with broken Russell Westbrook not in the playoffs, and you're looking at a guy like b i drop essentially thirty five a night on the suns uh and it doesn't look fluky like he legitimately looks like an incredible player and i think that's one thing that if we're being fair in our assessment of bi he is a very good player and to your point ethan and i think it was a great point cj unlocked that in him because it's allowing him to do that uh so not to continue to dance on the grave of the lakers but uh you know we 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 gave away TJ Warren for cash considerations but i think BI may have been a little bit more of a loss
0: yeah no, he he legitimately on the offensive end to me is i think one of the hot topics right now is is Jason Tatum coming for the the Kevin Durant whatever throne of which obviously we got plenty of time to make a call like that but when you talk at a three level scorer who is just an insanely skilled big man Handling the ball, also his passing. This series has been very impressive to me. I did, I did not expect that. Uh, <laughs> he keeps making the
2: right reads and just continues to hurt the Suns. What's if you're a fan of teams in the West? What's scary is Zion is waiting in the wings. Memes aside, Zion's waiting in the me in the wings right now. Throwing waiting down the memes, <laughs> throwing down between the legs, dunk, dunks in warmups. You know, like Zion is a very talented player. <laughs> Is he waiting in the memes or is he waiting the memes down? I refuse to publicly body shame Zion. Philip, just because you lost a lot of weight doesn't mean everyone else can too. (laughs)
0: No, I will say though, Zion, Zion Mountain Dew commercials. That boy be looking thick. Hey man, I'm really
1: proud of myself. I feel like conceited on Wild and Out right now. I want to be like, slow it down. I just dissed you. (laughs) Shout out to the
2: homies who know that reference. But here's the thing: like, I almost think we're kind of fortunate that we don't have a healthy Zion also playing against us right now. Or like, we'd be. I really think we'd be in a lot more trouble. That's true. The court would have to take a lot more
0: pressure. Anyway, <laughs> um, dude, my team's tied two to two in a series and I'm having a lot of scary thoughts. I got I to gotta have some humor. Uh, moving away from the what went wrong for game four from the Pelican side of things, I want to talk about, uh, and those on, YouTube, on the YouTube, please enjoy this beautiful uh, caption here. I really took a lot of time to figure out what was going wrong with the Suns. Shooting, scoring, et cetera. That's, oh, you forgot points. I mean, let me let me hit you guys with some quick stats so far. So this is what the Suns have done offensively. Uh, Goodness, this is really sad in in the four games so far. So we have shot from the field fifty three percent in a win, fifty percent in a loss, fifty percent in a win, fifty percent in a loss. Consistent, I'll give them that. Uh, Oh man, this is this part makes me want to vomit. Three point percentage. 35, 37, 15, and 25. So, context
1: real quick. Fine, even good, good,
0: awful, awful.
1: But
0: in comparison here, and this is where I think it's it's really tough uh, the Pelicans three point shooting numbers 39, 56, which, come on, that's not realistic, 34. And then in last night's Win for the Pelicans, again a win for the Pelicans. They shot twenty five. They were six of twenty four from three. Also, yikes! I mean, those are some rough shooting numbers, and those are also inflated by the guy who's currently on the bench nursing a hammy. Uh, I think I tweeted out. It was funny. I think the timeline guys were doing a live reaction after. I think it was after game three, and asked the question like, "I wonder what those numbers would be without Devin Booker." And earlier that evening, I had the same thought and went and did the math and I tweeted out from our account. But like you take Booker's numbers out of all of that just in terms of a a series percentage, man, it's bad. Uh, And Ryan touched on something, too, on the offensive side about what was really good. Again, going back to our positives here about game three, we had 26 assists to five turnovers. Here are the numbers for the other games just turnovers though 9 turnovers in game 1 12 in game 2 12 in game 4 losing the turnover battle in game 4 something the suns do not do hardly ever uh offensively they don't look like the suns uh and philip i I want to I want to come to you on this one we're seeing a weird mixed bag we're seeing devin booker not be there obviously that's a a bit of a mountain to climb But we're also seeing the guys that we expect to hit shots, and that's kind of why they're there, keep missing shots, wide open shots. And the only reason these games have been closed, especially the last couple, are because our bigs are eating down low. If you take the bigs out of it, this is is a monstrous performance. And I know people are going to complain about the free throw disparity. That's fine, whatever. The Suns as a team all season have been one of the least likely to shoot a free throw teams. If you look at the free throws per game, I think they were 30th, maybe 29. Like they were super low. And that was part of, I can't remember if it was Rossillo or Simmons or someone when they were talking about the incredible efficiency of the Suns. it was, they're doing this without shooting a lot of close range twos and they're doing it without shooting a lot of free throws. Two things that are usually heavily involved in highly efficient offenses. Yet we're now seeing what happens when part of that just completely implodes. So, Philip, hop back in the coach's chair, buddy. How do we fix our offense as we look ahead to games five and six?
1: I don't know exactly without, without oversimplifying it and saying hit more threes. I think if the Suns shoot a reasonable percentage, in game five especially, I would feel really good about the Suns' ability to win that game. Here's the reason. The Suns in game four, when you combine the three-point shooting and the free throws, so combine those numbers, got eviscerated off the court. If you look at the games the Suns have won or the games that were even a little closer, they are they're at least closer and I know in one of the games, I think game 1, the Suns won the free throw plus three-pointer battle. When you total up the made three-pointers and the made free throws, those those numbers there was a chasm between the Suns and Pelicans. In game four, the Suns have to make enough shots to pull that, to pull that back. And one of the reasons why is that over the course of the season, the Suns shot, let me pull it up, 36% from three. The Pelicans were down around 32% from three. So there should be four percentage points over the season for those listening. That's a sizable gap statistically. There should be a sizable gap between the shot-making ability of the Suns and the shot-making ability of the Pelicans, at least from the three-point line. That's where the Suns can put distance between themselves and the Pelicans. And like we've already said, and we're going to keep harping on it and looking for it, the Suns sets where they're flaring someone out to a wing, those are working and they're going to get those shots. Landry is going to need we're gonna need ten plus I think from Landry, and I think we might see a cam Johnson game in game five if all goes as it's been going
0: yeah, uh there's a lot of players who have presented more questions and answers uh campaign at this point i I honestly don't know what I could say as a positive that he's brought other than his quickness. There are times where you could see that his quickness could be utilized in an effective game plan against the Pelicans. Uh but it's it's not happening. Uh McHale defensively is, is working his butt off. Offensively we haven't seen him have any sort of eruption or or anything kind of going his way. Cam Johnson, we finally saw him hit a few threes last night, which was good. I'm hoping that can turn into some confidence. But I mean, keep going. Landry's not hitting. Jay Crowder having an abysmal series offensively. Uh, it's just it's rough when you have that many things going wrong at the same time. The, and the reason for that, a, a big reason for that, is because Devin Booker is out. Yeah it
1: it needs to be stated. And I, I I get the like sports mentality of like, oh, next man up, and it's just gonna like the next person has to step up and take over. No, but nobody. There are a handful, maybe, of people in the league who could step into Devin Booker's role on the Phoenix Suns offense and give you what he gives you on a night in and night out basis. That loss is massive. And and here's why. You can, let's just think of it in terms of the Pelicans. If you pluck CJ McCollum off the court for the entire game, Brandon Ingram's life becomes significantly harder. Significantly harder. Chris Paul's life right now without a di- without a truly dynamic all-star level playmaker is harder. Cam Johnson's life is harder. Mikael Bridges is harder when they're cutting off of a Landry Shamit drive rather than a Devin Booker drive. When they're cutting off of a campaign drive rather than a Devin Booker drive. Like Devin Booker brings a magnetism to the floor that the other players on the Suns just don't bring, which again is why we're saying the Suns' recipe for success is to make the shots. Like There's there's no super easy, Devin Booker drew a crowd, now we're going to dump it in and you're going to get a layup. A lot of these are going to have to be some tough shot making from Landry, from Cam Johnson, and from McHale, because I just don't see right now with with just the way his shot looks, with the way his drives look, I don't see campaign being the solution to this problem.
2: I, I, have, I have a confession. Uh, I, I officially went in and removed campaign stand account from my Twitter today. Oof. I have officially given up on my sweet, sweet boy, if that tells you anything about where his play is at the moment. Um, and one thing we haven't really touched on, and I don't know if you guys were as bothered by this as I was, but was the complete lack of composure I felt like our team showed last night. Uh, I felt like that was really uncharacteristic of this team. Uh, and it was top-down. It was Monty down. Like, it it was a visible frustration everywhere. And if we're letting guys like Alvarado get into our heads and a dude whose name is Herbert get into our heads. Such like, a good name. Like, you're – that lack of composure is going to eat at you in other ways and will affect every aspect of this as well. Uh, and to me, that was one of the biggest letdowns because I felt like all year long, we've just played fast and loose and fun and none of that was there last night. And you could see it just on everybody's faces. And I know that's silly and cliche and isn't pointing to any kind of statistic. But no, it was I, very visible and impacted w. everything and it was really disappointing as a fan. Two things
1: on that end. Number one, Herb Jones truly with two of Herbert. the more impressive blocks that I've ever seen. Incredible! I think it was Zion's Zion. Zion was year. The, the last one. Were, yes, from
0: the corner three block. Yes, yes.
1: yes. Yep. It it was Zion esque with him doing that. Those were outstanding. The Pelicans' bench players. I know Herb starts. I think he starts. Their bench players were great defensively. So shout out to them. That was really good. Number two, something instructive from the Warriors Nuggets game yesterday. If you watch the Warriors' Nuggets, early in the first quarter, it felt like the Warriors were about to just gobsmack the Nuggets. Clay started popping off. Everything was clicking, just like the way the Warriors look. But then Jokic started taking over. And in a timeout, one of the inside tracks, little the coaches mic'd up segments came on. And Steve Kerr said, we are trying to throw knockout punches in the first quarter. It doesn't work like that. What we need to do is execute them to death over and over and over again throughout the entire game. Keep executing, keep running your sets, keep cutting, and eventually this lead's going to grow. Now, we know the Warriors lost, but that, that's been the mentality of the Suns. It is a tidal wave of execution that we've seen this year and to your point Ryan, that execution was lacking because of the composure was lacking in game 4. So I think if the Suns can get back to running their crisp sets not not calling their own numbers when they don't need to be called, actually moving the ball, being patient with the sets they're running I think that's where we're going to see Cam, Jay, Landry getting some easier opportunities, but that's going to come with five, three, one seconds left on the shot clock. The Suns just need the composure to run their sets enough and trust that New Orleans might have good one-on-one defenders, but one of the things that we've seen from the Suns and from teams like the Warriors is it's incredibly difficult to guard an NBA team, even in the playoffs, for 24 seconds when the ball is moving. So start executing, get the ball rotating, good things happen.
0: Yeah. No, Ryan, I think I think that's a great point. And honestly, that was what I had to close. Uh, it was the first time all season where I thought, this team needs to play at home. Like this team has taken a lot of pride in being able to go into opponents arenas and shut them up real quick. Uh, And I mean, dudes like Crowder, like they've talked publicly. I know that the interview from last season was going around about how much he was loving playing in L.A. and dealing with all that. And you're hearing the jazz F. Chris Paul, F.J., whatever nonsense. And it just felt as that fourth quarter was going on. It was this team needs to take a reset and they need to get back home because those big shots on the court were leading to massive momentum swings in the crowd and the sun seemed to shrink which is not something i had seen them do all season. So no i think i think we're all kind of kind of on the same boat, no real concrete fixes or solutions, no real hot takes to magically make things better, but again i, I don't remember which one of you said it. I, I i've been getting so annoyed with it. sorry suns fans, suns fans and non-suns fans who are like even without devin booker the sun should be blah 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 like Come on, take, and again, this isn't official, but take a first-team All-NBA-type player. Fine, you want to argue with me? Second-team All-NBA-type player. Pluck them off their playoff team, see what happens. Take Jason Tatum off the Celtics, see what happens. Take Joel Embiid off the Sixers, see what happens. We can go down the list. It is silly and prideful to think that this team is so perfect and so deep that you can take the number one player off of it and be like, things should be normal, guys. Like, I think it's it's funny. We saw a lot of players be hurt this season, and of all the big names who missed, the record that was the least impressive was games without Devin Booker. And I think it is a very clear why as we're watching. And we're not even talking about his defensive abilities that have been gone too, which is something that has continued to be overlooked. But anyway, one more. Yeah, one go more for it.
1: shout out to Landry Shaman. He is still defending yep. really well. I think that's that might be one of the underrated parts of this series. When he's been in the game for Devin Booker, we've talked about this podcast a lot, and a lot of Suns Twitter and other really good Suns podcasts have recognized this. Devin Booker was a good defender this year. I think for the most part, Landry has been good in this series. So I know we're wrapping up, but again, shout out to Landry because again, Suns fans, he is in a very Difficult position right now.
0: Also, for those that are, sorry, um, this is just petty Ethan time. I think people like to rag on Landry because of him taking a while to get it, and also because he got an extension when maybe others didn't. Don't don't be shocked when next season rolls around and we're looking at Landry Shamit's contributions and looking at his contract and saying, "Wow, that was a good decision. Wow, that was smart to lock him up." For that money going into what hopefully will be his prime in whatever role he plays. But I mean, anyway, it is what it is. Series is tied two to two. The Suns have three games and two games at home to beat the Pelicans. The Suns should be able to handle this. I hope for the best. I will do my best for being optimistic. I'm glad we gave ourselves a day to think before hopping on the mics. I think it's probably for the best. I think last night's last night I was in the dark place. It would have been toxic. Y'all, y'all, night. y'all boys saw my texts. They weren't good. <laughs> I I was I was down. I was down real bad. We don't need to read those, but if if one day those do get out, it's pretty embarrassing. So no, uh hopefully you guys will stick with us throughout the rest of the series and hopefully more to come. Uh if you are listening and want to keep listening, feel free to check us out on the Brightside podcast network. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And then again, feel free to find us on YouTube special appearance by our new favorite human on this earth. More than likely, uh, Lydia, my new best friend. So hopefully we need to get Devin Booker to <laughs> dapper up at some point. <laughs> yeah, true. No, we need to find that now baby. That baby needs to give him his hamstring back. Yeah. it took the power space jam style i saw it uh but no thank you guys for watching it again thank you for listening for philip and ryan i am ethan we'll see you in game five this has been into the valley of phoenix suns podcast we out